The 14th century English mystic Julian of Norwich has been talked about by people in many different ways, but first and foremost, she's the author of an extraordinary text, The Revelations, which is the earliest known text authored by a woman in English. Personally, she has been a friend and companion in my Christian life for over 30 years. I'm the Reverend David Simmons, Episcopal priest and oblate in the Order of Julian of Norwich. Thank you for joining me as we read and pray through the works of this extraordinary woman of faith and explore what she has to teach us about God's love. Good morning, and welcome to Love Was His Meaning, Reading and Praying with Julian of Norwich. We'll start today with the little office. Uh, the link is found in the description. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. Let us say together Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High abides under the shadow of the Almighty, he shall say to the Lord, You are my refuge and my stronghold, my God in whom I put my trust. He shall deliver you from the snare of the hunter and from the deadly pestilence. He shall cover you with his pinions, and you shall find refuge under his wings. His faithfulness shall be a shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of any terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, of the plague that stalks in the darkness, nor of the sickness that lays waste at midday. A thousand shall fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Your eyes have only to behold, to see the reward of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your refuge, and the Most High your habitation. There shall no evil happen to you, neither shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you, to keep you in all your ways. They shall bear you in their hands, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the adder, you shall trample the young lion and the serpent under your feet. Because he is bound to me in love, therefore will I deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I am with him in trouble. I will rescue him and bring him to honor. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Let us say together a prayer of Julian. God of your goodness, give me yourself, for you are enough to me, and I can ask nothing that is less that can be full honor to you. And if I ask anything that is less, I shall always be in want, for only in you have I all. Amen. Well, here we are. We're in chapter 56 of the Revelations. Thus I saw most surely that it is easier for us to come to the knowledge of God than to know our own soul. For our own soul is so profoundly based in God and so endlessly treasured that we may not come to the knowledge of it until we first have knowledge of God, who is the Creator to whom our soul is wanted. But nevertheless, I saw that we have by our human nature a fullness of desire wisely and truly to know our own soul, and by this desire we are taught to seek our soul where it is, and that is in God. Thus, by the gracious leading of the Holy Spirit, we must know them both in one, whether we are stirred to know God or our soul. Both stirrings are good and true. 
God is nearer to us than our own soul, because he is the foundation on which our soul stands, and he is the means that keeps the essence and the fleshiness together so that they shall never separate. For our soul sits in God in true repose, and our soul stands in God in certain strength, and our soul is naturally rooted in God in endless love. And therefore, if we wish to have knowledge of our soul and communion and conversation with it, it behooves us that we search into our Lord God, in whom it is enclosed. And of this enclosing I saw and understood more in the sixteenth showing, as I shall say. And regarding our essence, it can rightly be called our soul, and regarding our fleshiness, it too can rightly be called our soul, and that is because of the wanting that it has in God. The honorable city that our Lord Jesus sits in, it is our fleshiness in which he is enclosed, and our natural essence is enclosed in Jesus, with the blessed soul of Christ sitting in repose in the Godhead. I saw most surely that it is inevitable that we must be in yearning and in penance until the time that we are led so deeply into God that we honestly and truly know our own soul. And truly I saw that into this great divine depth our Lord himself leads us in the same love in which he created us, and in the same love that he bought us by mercy and grace by virtue of his blessed passion. Notwithstanding all this, we can never come to a full knowledge of God until we first know clearly our own soul, for until the time that the soul is in its full powers, we cannot be all fully holy, and that is soon as our fleshiness, by the virtue of Christ's passion, is brought up into the essence with all the benefits of our tribulation that our Lord shall cause us to gain by mercy and grace. I had a partial touching, and it is grounded in nature, that is to say, our reason is based in God, who is essential nature. From this essential nature of God, mercy and grace spring into expand and expand into us, accomplishing all things in completing our joy. These three are our foundations on which we have our being, our growth and our fulfillment. For in our human nature, we have our life and our being, and in mercy and grace we have our growth and our fulfillment. These are three aspects of one goodness, and where one works, all work, in the things which are now proper to us. God wills that we understand, desiring with all our heart and all our strength to have knowledge of these three more and more until the time that we are fulfilled. For fully to know them and clearly to see them is nothing else but the endless joy and bliss that we shall have in heaven, which God wills that we begin here in knowledge of his love. For by our reason alone we cannot benefit, unless we have memory and love with it equally, nor can we be saved only with, with reference to our natural origin that we have in God, unless we have, coming from the same origin, mercy and grace. From these three acting altogether, we receive all our goods, the first of which is the good of human nature. For in our first creation, God gave, us, gave to us as many good and even greater goods that we could receive in our spiritual essence alone, but his foreseeing purpose in his endless wisdom willed that we be twofold in our human natures. So here in chapter 56, uh, there's this discussion of the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves or our own souls. Uh, she says, I saw most surely that it's easier for us to come to the knowledge of God than to know our own soul. And in some ways that seems 
pretty clear. Uh, coming to know ourselves, you know, we, there's there's been a, a movement over the de decades of people trying to find themselves or coming to know themselves. And what you generally find out in such things is that you you never really come to completely know yourself. It's more that you you uh, knowing yourself. We often uh, is, is often a euphemism kind of for for becoming comfortable with who we are because inside us is kind of a, an endless. Um, uh, mystery. You know, we're complex creatures. Um, and Julian would say that that's perfectly normal thing because we are made in the image of God. God is enclosed in us. Uh, we are wanted to God. And because of that, the, the knowledge of our soul cannot be accomplished in its fullness, cannot be even approached without approaching knowledge of God. The two are completely intertwined. God is nearer to us than our own soul. He's the foundation on which our soul stands. So therefore, if we wish to have knowledge of our soul in communion and conversation with it, it behooves us that we search into our Lord God in whom it is enclosed. So I think what she would say to modern movements about getting to know yourself is that, that that's a great thing, but it has to come both directions. Uh, it's not just diving deeper into yourself. It's also opening yourself up uh, to God, opening yourself up to the externality uh, and internality of that divine that is within and without us. I don't know I'm beginning to sound like a Beatles song, but anyhow, um, that's that's where she's going at is this idea of the we're both enclosed. The soul is enclosed in God and God is enclosed in the soul. Therefore, trying to know one without the other is kind of pointless. She's pointing out the real importance of fleshiness. So she, you know, this, uh, some religions and often Christianity are all kind of almost dualistic, talking about the difference between the essence, you know, the spirit and the flesh. I mean, even you get this in Paul, although I think Paul is often taken out of context and pushed to a point uh, that his, um, his, his Jewish upbringing would certainly push back against, uh, because uh, in Genesis we are made and we are made very good. So, the, the duality between the flesh and the soul is is something that is often overemphasized in Paul, and Julian certainly is um, is fighting against that. I mean, his humanity continues, as John Julian puts it, to enclose the risen Christ in heaven. So therefore, Christ has a resurrection body. I mean, this this is one of the important things about the bodily resurrection, the doctrine of the bodily resurrection, is that it's not just that uh, Jesus' body dies and, Jesus, and some spirit goes to heaven. Jesus is given a new resurrection body, and that body goes with and is, is brought into heaven. It's different than the, other than the previous body. I mean, it walks through walls, it walks through doors, um, but still it can eat, and it still bears the marks of the nails. So it's, it's, it's a new creation. Jesus' body is a new creation. It is the first fruits of, of resurrection, the, the, the direction we're all supposed to go. So this humanity continues to enclose the risen Christ in heaven. It's, it's not, he, he's not, he still has his humanity with him because we're all, it's, it's enclosed there and we are enclosed with him. And there's this mystical paradox that we can't know our own soul until we know God. She also says this, and we cannot know God until we know our own soul. She's intentionally being vague here. She's intentionally putting up a paradox. I mean, it's intentional, so that it's something that we have to meditate on. We both have to know God, and we have to know our own soul. 
And that has to happen at the same time rather than, oh gosh, we can't really know God until we get to know our own soul, or we can't really know our own soul until we spend all of our time meditating on God. We have to find a path that brings us both, um, uh, both our fleshiness, our essence as humanity, and our uh, our divinity uh, all at once in order to fully become who we're supposed to be as humans. We see a point in this chapter of Julian's theological optimism. Once again, I'm, I'm going from John Julian, who has some really great commentary on this uh, in this chapter. Um, she has a real theological optimism regarding human nature. Most medieval writers are almost dualistic. They talk about the the uh, the, the weakness of the flesh, the the how uh, you know uh, the spirit is better, all of that kind of stuff, moving towards that duality. But she sees human nature as the greatest good. It's not in. It's not depraved at all. It, this is part of who we are supposed to be. Our our human nature, our enfleshment. Uh, all of that is something about how we're supposed to be. It's not fallen in itself. I mean, she believes in the fall with Adam and Eve, but as it's created to be, it's not a subordinate part of creation. It's it's meant to be uh, like the the high uh, part of creation. In fact, um, what she says here is that our creation as beings with flesh provides us with greater goods than we would have had as purely spiritual beings. And John Julian brings back this um, kind of medieval um, legend that was popular uh, back in the time of Julian, around the time of Julian, that the angels were actually jealous of us as human beings because we have free will. And uh, through Christ's humanity, we share a humanity with Christ. We can unite in a way that angels never can. So there's that idea of um, you know, uh, and you find this interestingly in, in all sorts of accounts that the angels are simultaneously b baffled by God's creation of humanity and our creation of free will, but also jealous of it uh, because it gives us the ability to unite with God in a way that the angels never can as purely created beings who don't share in that, as Julian would say, that wanting with God, with the, the shared part of, of, of the second part of the Trinity, which is our human nature. Um, so, um, next time you're down on yourself and you're, you're, um, whether you're talking about your spirituality or, or what's going on in, in, in your body, remember that that's all part of what makes us a little higher than the angels, uh, in some people's estimation. Uh, it's what unites us and what is wanted to God. Let's continue with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I bid your prayers for the people of Ukraine. I ask your prayers for the people of Waukesha as we continue to recover from um, last year's Christmas parade incident. And I ask your prayers for those on our parish prayer list. And then bid your own prayers, either silently or aloud.
Let us continue with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Most holy Lord, the ground of our beseeching, who through your servant St. Julian revealed the wonder of your love, grant that as we are created in your nature and restored by your grace, our wills may be so made one with yours that we may come to see you face to face and gaze on you forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining me for Love Was His Meaning this week. Uh, we'll see you next week. Until then, take care and God bless. Thank you for joining me for Love Was His Meaning today. This podcast is generally available once a week on Thursday. The text of Julian's Revelations used in this podcast is The Complete Julian by Father John Julian Swanson OJN and is used by permission of the Order of Julian of Norwich. The theme music is Julian of Norwich by Bombadil and is used under license.